Welcome to the Soys Investment Group podcast. It's your one-stop shop for all stock trading and investment management news. We bring you the latest tips, analysis, and of course, discussions on what's driving the market. So welcome back to the podcast, everyone, in what is going to be hopefully a very exciting week. We've got a guest speaker on the channel. We'll take you into the interview later on, but I'm joined by Mike, our tech guru. Carl has had to unexpectedly step away, but Mike, I mean, we've got an interesting one ahead of us. We've obviously got the segment on the guest speaker, Rhinance. Mm. But before we do, let's start off with our usual topic around what's been moving the markets. I thought this week's been fascinating. Mm. I am getting a hint of you know, the pessimism creeping in. Uh, we talk about it later on the podcast around Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. It has took a, you know, some would say a healthy plunge, but I mean, for anyone who bought sort of, a, you know, a few days ago, they were probably down around 10 to 15%. Obviously the big thing around the 10 year treasury, yield, it's fallen, the VIX has fallen, but there has been a decline on cryptocurrency. But what's mm-hmm. been your thoughts in terms of movements in the market this week? Yeah, well, you're definitely seeing a little bit more of a bearish a bearish trend, aren't you? You know, as I'm looking at, I'm looking at my tickers here that on my watch list on Yahoo Finance. You know, I'm seeing Bitcoin's obviously down, Tesla's down. Of course, GameStop is up. You know, a lot amongst all of my 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 minus reds, you see GameStop up because of course they book every trend. Be interested to get your take on the Coinbase IPO. I guess that was the big the big mover since our last pod. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the Coinbase, it's its its an interesting one, right? Because like, you know, me personally, I bought some shares in Coinbase. I probably went in heavier than what I expected to initially. Um, but I bought actually at 390 and then I averaged down at 340. So I, I'm sat at around 350 now, which I'm quite comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sort of looking at my next entry point if it drops at around 300. But I do think it was inevitable. Um, and the reason I went so heavy initially, my, my thinking was I looked at the Snowflake IPO and I looked at the Airbnb IPO, right? And I looked at, okay, what was a similar comparison? What can I mirror this up to? And those are the two big IPOs for me. And they all perform the exact same, which is essentially at the point at which they become public in that the retail investor could buy them, there was a huge spike followed by a dip and then a significant dip, followed by a very sort of steady recovery over a couple of days and weeks. And that's what I'm buying right now is, again, that recovery. And I'm also seeing it again. We talk about Bitcoin being on a healthy pullback. I think the sort of leg, the next leg higher will be near to that that sort of all-time high. But I think if you see any sort of positive movement in Bitcoin, I think Coinbase is going to rocket purely off the basis of, I mean, from the IPO, it's down 12%. So I think it has at least 12% gain, in my opinion. I think it will reach an all-time high in the next few weeks. But um, certainly an, an interesting one. And what I might do before I hand it back to you on Coinbase is, I think this is the play for people who don't want to buy Bitcoin, but they want to get involved with cryptocurrency. And that's what it is for me. Well, I think it might actually operate as kind of like a crypto ETF, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. You, if you wanted to just get, invo- get involved with crypto in general, which to be honest with you, it might actually be a play I make. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Coinbase settle a little bit before I get involved. But if you didn't know whether you wanted to get into Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin or whatever it may be, I think Coinbase is probably a pretty good play because you're gonna get exposure to the market in general, um, which is always nice. It's always kind of um, hedges your bets a little bit as well. You don't need to worry about the volatility of Dogecoin because um, you've also got the I was going to say stability. Not sure if stability is the right <laughs> word, but the stability of Bitcoin. Maybe the stability of Ethereum might be a better example. But um, you've got the bigger cryptos to kind of to package it with a little bit, I guess. So yeah, I think it could operate as kind of like a, a crypto ETF. 
I think that's a brilliant comparison. I think that, that is actually a fantastic comparison because it's going to be sort of the central repository or the crypto hub for mm. anyone who wants to buy cryptocurrency. So therefore, any fluctuations in cryptocurrency prices should be reflected in the share price of, of, of Coinbase. So I think that's a brilliant example. Um, as we're sat here today, obviously the 19th of April, um, we're talking about 20 to 7 Irish time. But I mean, the Nasdaq's down about a percent. The overall US indices are down around 0.5 to 1%. I mean, it's a healthy pullback, but what I thought was interesting, Mike, on last week's podcast, we talked about three key levels, right? The S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ. And I mean, we talked about the S&P level around that 4135 mark. And as I look at it, we bang on sort of where where we expected the sell-off to come in. Now, I wouldn't say it's a sell-off, but it's down. And it would beg the question, is that now the resistance for the S&P 500? Mm. Um, but the one I, I wanted to get your take on, we talk about it in the Discord channel, is Barrett Gold, right? And <laughs> of course you want to get rolling, rolling the royalties. But I mean, it is worth pointing out that, that Barrett Gold has done very well over the last, you know, four to five days since we last spoke. I mean, mm. it's up about 5% in the last couple of days, which is great to see. But I think this really is the start for Barrett Gold. Um, I think this is where the rally will, will start as, as inflation pressures become more apparent. I think this is now the time for Barrett Gold to really step back up to, towards that $27 mark. I'll put it like this, Ryan. I mean, I'm, I'm up currently 11% on my Barrett Gold. So, you know, you could make the argument that now is a good time to kind of take those profits. But, you know, I, as you say, I just think it's the, the beginning. This is always where we expected it to go. It didn't make sense where the prices were at. Mm. Um if you looked at all the kind of the indicators of the company, if you looked at the, the where we thought inflation would go and, and inflation, I still think still hasn't kicked in. We're still not seeing the effects of, of inflation if, if we believe that inflation is coming down the road. This stock has a lot of upside potential. I mean, I'm looking at the P ratio here, Mike, 16 on the P ratio, like fundamentally undervalued, in my opinion, mm-hmm. strong buys across the board. And I think you're only seeing people to now notice Barrett Gold. I talk, you know, a lot about Jim Cramer and some of those influencers that I listen to on Wall Street. And they're again starting to talk about the gold miners. And Barrett Gold was brought up again this week as another strong buy. And I just think there's, there's so much more upside to, to this stock. Definitely. I think it'll segue nicely into our interview. And what I might mention to our listeners is obviously Carl had to unexpectedly step away from this week's podcast, but he was obviously present in the interview. So for our listeners, we're going to pass into now our Rhinance guest speaker for this week. So I hope you enjoy this one, guys, and we'll come back at a reflection afterwards. Perfect. So we're going to move into the next segment of the show. And on this part of the show, I'm delighted to welcome Ryan from Rhinance onto the podcast as our first guest speaker on the Soys Investment Group podcast. So Ryan, firstly, you're very, very welcome onto the show. We're delighted to have you here. Um, How are you keeping? I know you're over in Canada. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Uh, My name is Ryan. As you mentioned, I run the Rhinance YouTube channel on uh, YouTube there. And yeah, so I live in Canada. I live in uh, Vancouver, so out on the West Coast. And I'm a Canadian investor here. Yeah, it's brilliant because, again, for any of our podcast members or any of our listeners, they're probably sick of hearing the Irish accent. So you're very welcome, as I say, Ryan, onto the podcast. So for any of our listeners, we have shaped the the agenda. So we have shared some questions in advance. But I guess, Ryan, what we're trying to get out of uh, this conversation is a bit of guidance, a bit of thought, and uh, as I say, a bit of background in terms of you know your motivations in terms of getting into investing, setting up the YouTube channel, and where you really are today. So I might hand it over to yourself in terms of maybe setting the scene for our listeners uh, around background, you know, the YouTube channel, and ultimately what got you into investing. 
Yeah, sure. So yeah, so I've actually been investing for quite some time since I was actually about 12 years old, which uh, sounds a little funny. But the reason for that was my dad knew uh, a thing or two about the stock market and investing. And then so when I was about that age, he introduced it to me, in which I just kind of followed along and just did whatever he told me to do. Uh, but then I really took an interest in it from there on out and started learning, started reading books, things like that, building my knowledge and uh, chipping away at my portfolio during that time as well. Um, by the time I got to maybe about 16 or 17, that's when I really started to take more of an active role in my own investments, kind of took over all together and got really involved with it. And then that's when I got, you know, super interested with investing. It was like what I wanted to do all the time. Every morning I wake up, check Yahoo Finance, see how my stocks are doing. And uh, and it's just been, just been like that from there on out. So I decided to go to university. Uh, I went to the University of Ottawa. I took a degree in finance uh, to try to learn a little bit more about the space. And uh, I graduated with that degree, haven't done anything with that degree yet, but maybe one day in the future, we'll see. <laughs> and uh, so uh, recently though, yeah, so I started the Rhinance YouTube channel. And the reason I did that was for a couple of different reasons. I found that when I try to talk about investing with the people that I know in my life, so my friends and things like that, a lot of them just don't even want to talk about it to begin mm -hmm. with, or they just don't have much interest. So I started the YouTube channel because I wanted to educate people on investing and show them that it's not this big, scary thing that's only reserved for the elites of the world. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to do it to kind of give myself a community where I can talk to like-minded individuals and have a discussion and uh, promote that sort of thing. You're dead right, Ryan. I mean, like from certainly from our perspective, same thing. Like uh, before we got into stock, stock trading, and Mike and Carl probably agree with me here, it is seen as a bit of a taboo area, isn't it? Like, I mean, people think, oh, no, this is for the smart people. This is for Wall Street. I'm not going to get involved. I lose an abundance of money. So therefore, it's not for me. But really, when you break it down to, you know, its simplest form, there is certain fundamentals and essentials to to investing. And I think that's what's great about your YouTube channel. Obviously, we're trying to do it here as well with Soys Investment Group is, you know, showing people that it is in this taboo area. You can actually make money, but there is obviously elements around risk management and picking the right stocks to, you know, to ultimately grow your portfolio. So my next question, Ryan, is, uh, and it's one we always talk about in the uh, on the podcast between myself, uh, you know, Mike and Carl around what type of investor are we? Are we an active investor? Are we a passive investor? You you know, do we take our, our profit? Do we hold on? I mean, there's a there's a, a quote we use often on the podcast as well. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Cramer, but he talks about, you know, bulls make money, bears make money, but pigs get slaughtered. But what sort of investor or trading side would you say you are? You know, are you an active, passive investor? Do you like the speculative plays? Are you more into the blue chips? Like, what sort of investor are you? For sure. Yeah. So I love Jim Cramer. I love watching him. He's super entertaining. Uh, and I, lo I love how he's got that button machine where he's like, <laughs> you know, buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. I think that's great. Um, but yeah, no, I'm a more, more of a sort of reserved or more traditional type of investor. So I just focus on the big blue chip companies mm -hmm. um, of the world. Most of them are in Canada, just uh, easier that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I would consider myself to be a an active investor, but I focus on the 
value side of things. And I'm looking at blue chip companies that pay a dividend. That's a big one for me there. And I'm really looking for companies that raise their dividend over time. So mm. when I'm looking at a stock, if they don't pay a dividend, you know, that's okay. But I'd usually prefer the dividend aristocrats and the dividend kings, things like that. And then I'm really looking for companies that are able to grow their dividend by maybe five to 10%, something like that every single year. And if they have a great track record of doing that, I'm really happy to invest in them with the hopes that the dividend yields might be something like, uh, you know, 4%, 5%, something like that today. But 10 years down the line, if you hang on to that stock and they're able to raise the dividend over time hopefully that can grow up to something more like eight to ten percent something like that Mm. and really create that compound interest machine that starts to turn so yeah it sounds like uh, mike i don't know if you're laughing at the same thing that i was laughing but it sounds like you and car might be best friends in terms of the the dividend stock (laughs) oh yeah exactly how carl invested so ryan is it safe to assume that you weren't uh, all in on gamestop then no, I didn't put any money in GameStop or AMC or anything like that. But let me tell you, I had so much fun watching that from the mm. sidelines. And, you know, I was on uh, I was on the Reddit side. Like, I was all power to the people. I thought it was great. I'd love to see it. But, no, that's uh, way too speculative. So that's definitely against the rules. Mm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. But, yeah, the Wall Street bets was an interesting time, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it, it still was. Is an interesting time. Like, still, is, still is an interesting time, I guess still going on i think the coolest thing was it was just like when this happened all my friends and everything they all just started texting me and calling me they're like hey you, you know about GameStop, you know about this and it was kind of like my uh 15 minutes of fame because like i'm the one guy they know yeah. that knows something about investing and so everybody's calling me texting me seeing what i think about GameStop. so that 100%. was pretty fun i think we can all relate to that like it's interesting kind of that that kind of difference between i thought it's interesting when you said at the beginning how you know, investing is this taboo topic. And I would have said that, you know, it de- definitely a taboo topic in Ireland. It, it's interesting to, to hear you say that there's also an element of tabooness around it in, in the US and Canada, where I would say far more people probably invest in the, mm. in the stock market. But then when GameStop happened, it was like all that tabooness just went out the window. And it was like everyone couldn't, couldn't figure out quick enough how to invest in the stock market. How do I get in on this? I guess it's about the popularization of the stock market. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I, no I, I definitely agree. Definitely taboo here as well. And I just, like you said, it was just so funny to see everybody had just totally switched sides as soon as mm-hmm. the GameStop thing happened and they all wanted to talk about it all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's something actually we've talked about frequently and it probably, it, it segues nicely in terms of, you know, the whole GameStop craze and, you know, the, the boom around the retail investor, uh, Ryan. But we talk a lot about, you know, this potential stock market bubble or, you know, and I suppose it's, it's sort of a seesaw are we in a stock market bubble or are we potentially going into what could be an economic boom over the next two to three years? We're trying to sort of, you know, play a bit of a jigsaw game there in terms of which way is the market going. But when you look at things like the retail investors coming in and, you know, jumping on the likes of the GameStops, the AMCs, the Bed Bath Beyonds. I mean, where, where are your thoughts in terms of stock market bubble versus economic boom? Yeah, so I think this is actually a great question. And I hear this and see this being talked about in the market a lot nowadays um i will say this i'm not a fortune teller i don't know the future so i don't really know uh but here's my thoughts i think long term so like you said uh two three years even 10 years out i think this is going to be the beginning of another bull run uh, of another economic boom and the reason i think that is i think there's so many people that have been pent up because of covid and things like that they've been at home they've got nothing to do and if they can afford to they've been saving 
money, right? Mm -hmm. So once we're out of the woods on COVID and people are comfortable to get back out in the world and do things, I think people are going to be looking to spend that money they've been saving, first of all. And I think they're going to be looking to travel. I think they're going to be looking to go out to restaurants and buy clothes and all, and all these things, do things with their friends. So I see a lot of um, tailwinds from that side of things that I think people are just going to want to get out and do things and there'll be a big economic boom because of that. Um, with that being said, though, in the short term, I am a lot more inclined to think that this is a little bit of uh, bubble territory with where the market's being priced right now. Um, like we're not out of the woods on COVID just yet. And I, I don't know exactly how the companies look in the UK and in Ireland there. But in America, you know, some companies have done well from an earnings perspective. But, you know, there's a lot of companies that are still, uh, I don't want to say subpar, but they're still struggling because of COVID. Mm. The earnings haven't caught up. You know, the revenue and profit levels just aren't the same as they were. Yet, these companies are trading at a premium at a higher level than where they were pre-COVID. So there's a bit of a mismatch there in the market right now, I think. So I can definitely see short term, you know, in the next number of months, stocks mm. may sell off a little bit to kind of bring things back into line. Um, but yeah, no, I think long term, I think stock market bubble for sure. Mm. Or sorry, sorry, sorry. Long term, I think economic boom for sure. <laughs> <laughs> quite a quite a quite a difference there. Uh, yeah, you know, I've actually been hearing the term um, Ryan a lot recently. I'm not even sure if I like the term, but it, it does bring it with it a good message, which is um, these zombie companies and what they mean by these zombie companies are the they're dead and they don't even know it yet um, because they're being propped up by subsidies, welfare, whatever it may be. Um, I know we definitely have them in the likes of. Ireland and the UK, the countries that have been shut down for for longer, and and they've been on these companies have been propped up with subsidies for quite a long time, and it'll only be when the market reopens um, that you kind of see which companies are are still going and which companies aren't. But I guess maybe my question to you is obviously not in the bigger companies. The bigger companies have been operating the whole time, but do you feel like that'll have a bigger effect on the market when these SMBs, these small and medium sized businesses, maybe start to fail as the subsidies start to get drawn back? Yeah, absolutely. I, this is definitely a worry of mine. And I think this is probably something that we're going to see. Um, so it sounds like the situation here in Canada is pretty similar to the UK and Ireland there, in that you do have a lot of government assistance for small mm. medium businesses, as well as for individuals, um, you know, rent relief, things like that. So yeah, I think I think as soon as these programs come offline, and that and that money just dries up, and, and it's no longer flowing into the company. Yeah, I think there's definitely going to be definitely going to be issues. And like you said, zombie companies, I, I haven't heard of that before, but I think that's a great way to think of it. Um, yeah, like not only for companies, but also just for individuals, you know, people that may be struggling to pay their rent or their mortgage, things like that. And then the government subsidies come offline. I think this is going to have a, it's going to have an impact on the banks and things like that and individuals as well. Yeah, like it is fascinating because you know you hear a lot about, uh, and we didn't think this rally, like we didn't, we didn't think this bull rally would last this long, and we talked about it months ago that this this you know market sell off is is you know imminent, 
but yet the market is still holding off. But there is talk, obviously, of a K market recovery in that, you know, the maybe the, the larger, the more heavily capitalized firms, the Amazons, the Facebooks, likewise, will do quite well. Whereas, you know, maybe the, you know, the actual Main Street companies will actually fall down. That's that sort of bottom half of the K and that's sort of the K recovery we're looking at. But to your point, Ryan, some of the P ratios and the valuations the, the, some of these companies have are, are absolutely crazy. We often talk about Tesla as the example with the P ratio, roughly about 1,000, which is absolutely scandalous. Um, yeah. But there are people who are obviously looking at, okay, well, what are the alternatives to playing in the market? And again, segues us into the whole cryptocurrency chat around, okay, well, listen, people think the stock market is, is frothy. All the indicators are showing that it's frothy. Let's look at alternative ways to play it in terms of Bitcoin. Um, and we talk about it frequently in the podcast as well around Bitcoin and other crypto plays, particularly Dogecoin we talked about recently. We looked at it a couple of weeks back. It's up 500%. But my first question, are you invested in, in crypto? And the second part of the question, Ryan, then is what are your thoughts in terms of the future of crypto? I look at the markets today, Bitcoin to the US dollar down to about 54,000 off a high of 64,000. Do you think this is just a small blip in what will ultimately be a leg higher in the next few weeks? Or what's your thoughts in terms of the future of cryptocurrency? Yeah, so to your first point there, yes, I am invest invested in crypto nowadays. That's uh, That changed pretty recently. I first started buying Bitcoin and Ethereum around Christmas time of 2020. So that's been a, a couple months here that I've been in involved. And what's funny is, is before that, I was pretty much just a crypto hater and a Bitcoin hater. And I was just like, you know, these things have no value. It's just for criminals to do illegal things and the money can't be traced and things like that and then and then bitcoin in the crypto space started to run you know near the end of the year last year so it drew, so it drew my attention to it and then i went well maybe i should start paying attention to this start learning about it so it was kind of funny kind of went down the rabbit hole from there on out the more mm. i learned the more i wanted to learn and then, and yeah, it just went deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I own Bitcoin and Ethereum nowadays. I'm really happy with them. Um, like you said, the, the uh, crypto markets have sold off in the past few days. And I think I think it's fine. I think it's just such a volatile space. You have to be willing to accept 10, 20, 30% declines uh, if you want to have 30% or more increases, right? Mm. So with the volatility there, it doesn't worry me. This is a long-term thing for me and uh yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna keep keep buying keep holding i dollar cost average into them every month so i'm just gonna keep on doing that yeah yeah and i think that's probably the best way of playing it like i mean to, to your earlier point these things are so volatile like i look at sort of the the coinbase ipo there and you know last week we actually bought some um and like we're down i think maybe 12 percent. but ultimately i know that's probably the future of, of of maybe trading as it were um that crypto has become a more acceptable thing to talk about you know maybe 5 10 15 years ago it was seen as this again taboo area that almost like the dark arts, you know, using the Harry Potter reference that people didn't know really what happened there. But I think it's become a lot more of um, an open topic, particularly the young. And, and this is why I think the retail investors is, is playing a big part in the cryptocurrency push at the minute, is I think people are actually seeing this as the future, the future of payments. You look at maybe Elon Musk talking about accepting Bitcoin payments for Tesla cars, Apple again, looking at it. I also seen a, a, an article two weeks ago where PwC, one of the big four accounting firms are talking 
talking about you know accepting cryptocurrency and i think they actually accepted their first bitcoin payment about two weeks ago as well so times are changing and it's certainly one to uh to keep an eye on um but certainly volatile enough for the faint hearted is, is what i would say mike any any point from yourself on the crypto craze and actually because we obviously discussed this in the pod recently and, and ryan i'd be interested to know because obviously you've been monitoring it obviously for a long time but then in the last couple of months decided I've now decided it's a good play and I would have been I'm probably still um where you were before which is kind of like I'm not sure if I see the value of what crypto actually is and where it actually fits in the grand scheme of things so I'll be interested to know what was like the turning point for you where you went okay this is now an investment that I that I like yeah sure so pretty much like what Ryan was saying before how you start to see some big companies like Tesla. I had originally invested before Tesla came out and said that. Um, but still, I noticed that there were a lot of big money managers in the world and governments and companies and things like that starting to take an interest in crypto. And I just thought to myself, well, if crypto and Bitcoin is good enough for them, it doesn't matter what I think, it's kind of good enough for me as well. So that was sort of the, the basis for it. And I started to think, I'm like, well, if you've got big money managers, like say you got you've got BlackRock and uh, Fidelity Investments, and you got other you know groups like this and like PwC, like you mentioned, if these guys start to push money into the sector, you know the amount of capital that they can put into the space is just going to be ginormous if they want to. So they're just going to totally outpace the retail investors. And uh, right now, it's like you said, it's largely retail investors involved. But as soon as those big money managers get involved, as soon as the quote unquote smart money gets involved in a big way, I just think I just think it's just going to be huge. Like the price mm-hmm. is just going to fly. And uh, part of the reason I think that is because with a lot of cryptocurrencies, the supply is fixed. So with Bitcoin, for example, you know, a lot of people know Bitcoin, there's only 21 million Bitcoins. So there is still supply and demand factor, but at large, the supply is fixed. So if you just yeah. have capital inflows, you know, meaning the demand increases, well, the price has nowhere to go, but, but up, mm-hmm. right? And so, so that was kind of the, um, that was kind of the beginning. And then I, I learned a lot more and I have some different opinions on it now. But I think the simplest way I can put it, the reason why I'm interested in Bitcoin is because, and and cryptocurrency as a whole, is that one of the things cryptocurrency aims to do is to create a new financial system Mm -hmm. that is faster, cheaper, more secure, less prone to hacks and other things like that, uh, distributed, right? So everybody in the world can have equal access to it. Mm -hmm. And if this uh, comes to fruition, you know, if if this is a better financial system, I just think it's just going to be absolutely huge because you're going to have trillions and trillions of dollars out of the current financial system, start moving into the crypto financial system in whatever form that may be. And I just think the price movements are going to be absolutely massive. The other side of it, though, is what happens if Bitcoin is or cryptocurrency is not a better financial system? What Mm -hmm. if there is a big hack? What if there's some fundamental flaw, something like that? And it's like, well, you know, that's okay because if it's not a better financial system, well, you're going to lose 100% on your investment, right? Like Bitcoin will go to zero or very close. You lose 100%, but you can't lose more than 100% unless you're doing, you know, derivatives and things like that. Mm. Um, So I kind of see the downside as negative 100, but I see the upside as like, you know, much, much more than plus 100. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not unlimited, but, you know, plus a thousand, plus 10,000%, something like that. So when I sort of weigh the odds, 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and then, yeah, like, like I sort of mentioned before, I see a lot of, I see a lot of bull signals with, you know, the, the federal reserve in the U S you've also got the bank of Canada and the bank of Japan working on their own versions mm. of cryptocurrencies. So it's like, if all this smart money, if all these, you know, powerful, important people say are getting involved, I'm like, well, I better, you know, get involved at least a little bit as well. And hang on for the ride no absolutely ryan i couldn't agree more with you um i think that is you've seen it really go on this tremendous rally over the last year and a half like i mean we've done some analysis on bitcoin uh about three or four weeks back and i mean you, you look at the sort of five-year chart dipped down to around two thousand dollars where it is now around fifty four thousand dollars i think it is just a healthy pullback like any chart there's always a healthy pullback you will never see sort of a rocket ship uh, chart and if you do it's a sort of screaming sell for me. So I think there's a healthy pullback. You've seen it over the last few weeks as well with Bitcoin. So I couldn't agree more with your points. Um, on the point around, obviously, the popularity of cryptocurrency, it does beg the question, what other stocks or sectors are you interested in? So obviously, crypto is one element. But what else have you got your eyes on, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of tie it together, both points there, like I just wanted to mention the uh, crypto investments that I have, they're a rather small percentage of my portfolio. They're less than 5%. So it's not a ton. So uh, most of my investments are still these blue chip dividend um, type stocks. As far as sectors go, I always like the banks. I have a good percentage in uh, some of the Canadian banks. Um, especially with the way the banking system works in Canada. I love the banks. They're great dividend payers, great dividend raisers. And I just I just think you just can't bet against them. These guys make the rules of how money works sort of thing. And so I really like them. So I'm always kind of bullish on the banks. They're always my go-to if I'm not sure where to go. Um, but yeah, I, did, I do have two ideas that I like as far as specific stocks go. These are both Canadian stocks, so I don't know if you guys will be familiar with them or not, but I'll just give you a quick uh, mm. introduction and background to them, and then I'll let you know why I like them. So the first one would be a company called Enbridge, and they're a Canadian oil and gas pipeline. So they are, they are certainly the biggest pipeline company in Canada, and I think they are the biggest pipeline company in North America, but I could be wrong about that. Anyway, so they're really big player in the oil and gas space. And the reason why I like Enbridge so much is, like I mentioned, their classic uh, dividend payer, dividend raiser. But what happened during the beginning of COVID was the oil and gas sector in North America anyways, got hit really hard and they saw big drawdowns in the stock price. And the companies didn't see, you know, very much for revenue and profit in a couple months there uh, when COVID first happened. Since then, Enbridge in particular, has had a pretty decent recovery when you look at their revenue and their profit levels. They're not quite back up to where they were before pre-COVID, but they're very close. And then you go over, you look at the stock price and you see that their stock price is still sitting more or less at its COVID lows. It has not had a recovery like a lot of the area, other areas of the market. So I could be wrong on this one, but you never know. Um, the value investor in me is just screaming value at me <laughs> in Enbridge here. And I like that because, you know, revenues and profits are increasing. They're a pipeline company. So they make money based on the oil that flows through the pipe. They're not subject to the price of oil, which I really like that. And uh, something else that's worth mentioning actually is that a lot of the a lot, a lot of the revenue stream for them is contracted on those pipelines. So whether oil actually flows through the pipeline or not, Enbridge is still getting paid from whoever the 
harvester of oil is. So this is a, this is a really good thing for Enbridge because when you see, like in the beginning of COVID, when there's not a lot of oil moving, this was actually this actually helped prop up Enbridge a little bit because even though there wasn't oil moving through the line, they were still getting paid. Mm. Um, with that being said, though, part of the reason why I think. Enbridge and the oil and gas sector has been held down is because there's a lot of negative sentiment around oil and gas nowadays, and especially pipelines. Like pipelines are pretty much impossible to be built. You can't build any new pipelines in North America anymore. It's just going to get blocked by the government. So Enbridge has this big cash cow business, and they've actually been acquiring and building out uh, green energy assets. Um, over the past few years. So I really like to see this. So looking out into the future for Enbridge, I think they're going to continue to raise and pay that dividend. I should mention they also raised their dividend uh, a couple months ago during COVID. Um, so, you know, that's a really great sign. And mm-hmm. with the extra money that they have, they're, you know, going out and acquiring these green energy businesses, these offshore wind farms and things like that. So I hope these guys will be able to transition to a green energy company, given that they can't really build any new pipelines. And I think if they do, they've got the capital and the dominance to do so. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that's why I like those guys. Yeah, no, I like it. I just, uh, uh, <laughs> of course, did a quick Yahoo Finance click on it. I suppose for our listeners, um, Ryan, the ticker is ENB. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, no, that's a really, really good stock play. Any other sectors or industries you've got your eye on? Any of our listeners back home looking for a bit of bit of cash, bit of safe cash to be made? Sure. So the other one that I like right now is a company called Telus. Uh, so they're also a Canadian company, and uh, they're a telecom company. So they provide phone and internet services to a large majority of Canadians, or not a majority, but a minority, but even still, to a lot of Canadians. And uh, a bit of background for you guys and for the listeners, the way the telecom space works in Canada is that it is basically an oligopoly where you have three big main companies. You've got Telus, you've got Rogers, and you've got Bell. And these guys are pretty much the only companies in the telecom space. There are some other smaller players, but they always just get swallowed up by either Telus, Bell, or Rogers. So it's pretty much just these three guys. Um, So yeah, so I own all of them (laughs) and I really like them. But uh, yeah, like Telus in particular, because they're just like a keep saying they're a good dividend payer and they're a good dividend raiser. So I put my money behind them. The reason why I like them is they're trading, you know, not super high, but also not super low. They're somewhere in the middle uh, based on their pre-COVID levels and things like that. And I really like them because they just have this really solid business around phone and internet, right? Like nobody's going to be getting rid of their their phone plan and nobody's going to be getting rid of their internet package. If anything, they're just going to be increasing the amount of data that they can use on their phone and things like that. So, so I really like that. I think it's a super stable business. Um, and then with Telus, they're actually starting to somewhat transition the company into uh, sort of a tech company, which I think is a really interesting idea for this company. Cause you got this big cash cow telecom company that just, you know, doesn't really do a lot. But over the past few years, they've been starting to acquire some tech companies to sort of build out that side of things. Mm. And that's really interesting for me as a Canadian investor, because in Canada, there's really not much for a tech sector. So everybody knows in the US, you've got these big tech giants. But in Canada, there is a couple names, but it's not even close. So if you want to invest in tech in Canada, you don't have too many options. 
And then I see TELUS, they've got some exposure to tech because they're connecting all of us with the internet and things like that. And now they're starting to buy out some of these companies and starting to kind of get a footprint in that area. So I really like them. Um, just as an example, one of the businesses that they've bought out and built out over the last few years is something called TELUS Health. And what this is, is you can uh, see a doctor and get a uh, sort of medical report, or you can basically just talk to the doctor through your phone. So mm. by having a TELUS um, plan with this TELUS health in the package, you always have access to talk to a doctor through your phone on sort of a FaceTime type of uh, type of situation. And uh, that part of the business has been doing really well. They actually acquired this before COVID. And then so, you know, during COVID, this was actually a really good thing for the business. So I really like to see that. And that's why I like those guys. No, I, I actually really like that. I've just, as, as, again, I've just gone on to Yahoo Finance, done a quick snapshot analysis. And, uh, you know, again, for our listeners, the the, the ticker there is is TU. Is that right, Ryan? Uh, yeah, so it's a little bit co- uh, tricky here. Um, on the New York Stock Exchange, it's TU. Uh, but then in Canada, it would just be T, T.TO. T-O. So it depends where you're looking at it, but those are those are the tickers, yeah. No, I mean, like again, looks like a really fundamentally strong company. Like I was just looking even at the price targets. Um, so as I look at it now, twenty dollars and sixty, the low on the first year price target twenty nine ninety one, high of forty two fifty, average price target thirty nine dollars. I mean, if anything, that's a strong buy there in itself. Um, just even listening to some of the, you know, the the service offerings where plans to go. I think it's actually a brilliant one around the telecoms. Again, Ryan, you might be familiar with, um, you know, Jim Cramer talks an awful lot about the rollout of 5G and, you know, the increasing demand around, you know, the tele services. I think one of his favorites is, is Crown Castle. But I actually personally have been looking for a cheaper play. Um, again, with a P ratio of 27.39. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of upsides. So I really like that. Um, I must admit, uh, I don't know about Mike and Card, but when you said tell, I thought you were going to say teledoc, but uh, hey ho. <laughs> but I say they're trying to get into Telus Health, so that's obviously a nice play. And again, diversified portfolios, that's a brilliant one. Two really, really good stock picks. Um, so I suppose to summarize, the tickers are ENB and, and TU on the NYSE or T on the Canadian Stock Exchange. So thank you for that, Ryan. Just a few more questions to go. We're, we're going to try and get in under the brain of, of Rhinance here. But my next question is, what's been your favorite podcast um, or, or book? And obviously Goes Out Saying Soy's Investment Group is probably your favorite podcast. So uh, mm-hmm. we'll leave that one aside for the time being. But <laughs> what's been your favorite book or podcast or what's your source of material? Yeah. So for books, I have read quite a few books <clears throat> over the years. Um, I do have a lot that I like, uh, but as far as a favorite, that's kind of a tricky one for me because a lot of the different books that I've read, they all sort of serve a different purpose, uh, if you know what I mean. Uh, but anyways, there is a book here that I have, and it's called Warren Buffett Accounting Book. And so it's not one of those big name books like The Intelligent Investor or something like that. I have read that as well. But the reason why I like this book so much and the reason why this book sort of has a special place in my heart is because it's all about reading and understanding financial statements. Mm. So it takes you through the balance sheet, statement of cash flows, and um, the income statement. Mm. And the reason why I like this one so much is because I was familiar with these statements before and i knew you know the main items off of them but this book really does a deep dive on each and every single item on 
each one of these financial statements. Mm -hmm. And then it gives you a little bit of uh, analysis on how you can use each one of these items off of these statements to get a better understanding of the company itself. So they obviously cover the basic things like price to earnings ratio, price to book ratio, things like that. Um, but I really like it because it really does take sort of a deep dive on specific items that may be on the balance sheet or the income statement. And I felt that it just really helped me get a better understanding of reading a company's financials and understand really what's going on under yeah. the hood. Just to your point there, Ron, I just wanted to kind of understand how deep do you go into the balance sheet and obviously using kind of, you could go into a rabbit hole with the, the different ratios that you can, can look at. Um, do you have a, a standard set of ratios that you typically look at? Obviously, there's the typical ones, but in addition to what you've just kind of cited there, is there any more that you think are really useful? Sure. Um, no, not in particular. There's nothing uh, I would say that's overly special. I look at obviously all of the main things that everybody else looks at, like PE ratio and dividends and things like that. Mm. Um, but no, there usually there isn't something in particular that I'm like really going on a deep dive on. Um, I usually just more will go look at the balance sheet, income statement, things like that, just to get a better understanding of you know where the money's coming from in terms of revenue, where the money's going in terms of expenses, you know, how much they're spending and financing the company through dividends and other things like that. But in general, no, I don't base any of my analysis off of any one particular factor. I mm. just try to try to look at them at large and try to just get an idea of where the company stands right now and where I think it could go in the future. Gotcha. Perfect. Thanks. Perfect. Perfect. So there is a podcast that I really like as well, and it's called Millennial Money. This is actually a podcast that I watch on YouTube. And what this podcast is, is it's four of the sort of big finance YouTubers um, in America there. You have Meet Kevin, Andre Jick, Graham Stephan, Jeremy Lafave. I don't know if you guys have heard of any of them. Uh, but they're pretty popular over here on the uh, in North America. Mm. And anyways, I really like this podcast because I pretty much watched all of these YouTubers on their own anyways. And then one day they came together and just did start doing a podcast together. And I really enjoyed it. So they just talk about the current state of the market, what's going on, what they've been buying and selling recently. They usually touch on crypto. Um, there's usually some discussion about the Fed and inflation and things like that. So I really do enjoy listening and watching uh, that podcast. No, that's that's a brilliant one. Um, I mean, for a split second, I thought you were talking about our podcast, but <laughs> 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 no, absolutely, Ryan. Um, really, really appreciate it, and, and and goes without saying, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Soys Investment Group podcast on what has been our first guest speaker. So again, it's been uh, it's been our privilege having you on the show, getting certainly some interesting insight and a different perspective. Because obviously, from our perspective, we're talking from you know three Irish investors. So to get someone in from Canada getting your perspective on the markets what drives you what's your motivations it's been brilliant to listen to so ryan thank you very very much for for joining us before we go any any final bits or your opportunity to plug the youtube channel for our listeners yeah so i run the Ryanance youtube channel if you're looking for not financial advice but if you're looking for financial information and learning you can come on by check it out see if you like anything that you see on there but other than that thanks so much for having me on guys i really appreciate being on the podcast and i enjoyed it and i'll talk to you soon so there you have it, folks. That was our interview with Rynance. Uh, again, like Mike, I thought it was a brilliant interview. It was really good to get some insight in terms of a different perspective. You know, someone coming from Canada, given his perspective on the market, thought it was really interesting around the whole idea of taboo uh, on, on the stock market. Um, 
And I if I'm not one, so actually, yeah, so did I, yeah. Yeah, like I always knew that in in, in Ireland, in Ireland definitely. Uh, I'm not sure about the the UK, but in Ireland definitely, there's this kind of feeling that like definitely our parent generation didn't get into investing so much. But and I know amongst our generation, it's definitely much more of a thing. But definitely a taboo topic. Definitely mm. a topic that you know isn't that much discussed. But it re- and I always had it in my head that in North America, you know, everybody was investing. Yeah. Uh, so it's so interesting to hear that there's that taboo topic there as well. 100%. And what I thought we might do for this week, we obviously have the quick fire round at the end of every podcast. But what we're going to do is we're going to look to have a guest speaker on maybe once every month and use the quick fire round as a reflection piece in terms of what were some of the key takeaways in that interview. And the other thing that actually took me as well, uh, Mike, was he talked about like his portfolio. Now, we talked that he's only got 5% of his portfolio in crypto, but that he obviously believes in the long term of crypto. But a lot of his stock picks are obviously, you know, long term, very much blue chip stocks, you know, the, the sort of dividend aristocrat and, and very much what I took was specialized in financial services. That was his default, if you mm. didn't know what, what to reference as. But I mean, what were your thoughts in terms of, you know, stock picks, you know, his way of investing, what type of investor he is, any, any key takeaways from that side? Yeah, well, I actually, I actually got a bit of a kick actually when when he said, uh, you know, he's talking about crypto, and he said the worst thing that Bitcoin could do was go to zero, yeah. <laughs> as if that you know, I was like, well, that could that would be pretty bad if you were investing <laughs> in Bitcoin and it went to zero. <laughs> but I, I guess his point being that the potential upside was so much, and then it makes a lot more sense when he talks about the percentage of his portfolio. So it's not like a big play for him, mm. but you know, a play that he's interested to track and a play that he now believes in. I thought that was an interesting take and, and in my opinion the right take on crypto yeah um that yeah. don't make it because I, I have friends who have you know 30 percent of their investments in crypto and 50 percent of their investments in crypto and i just think you're really playing a, a risky game when you do that so um really kind of was interesting to hear that he definitely sees the value he definitely can see that you know there's a, a really good chance for, of an upward trend there and a lot of upside potential mm. um but just mitigating that risk by not having too much of the portfolio, do you know? Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. That was a, a takeaway for me in terms of, you know, his risk appetite towards cryptocurrency versus his traditional stock plays is, is, is a big one for me. Mm. But um, on the stock plays, is two stock picks, um, Enridge, ticker ENB, and uh, and the telecom company TU, tell us, I thought there were two fantastic plays. I mean, post the interview now, we've had time to digest and look at it, but... I mean, both of them fantastic dividend stocks, but also have a lot of upside, both from a short-term and long-term perspective. Um, and the interesting thing is, again, a different perspective. Stocks we wouldn't have necessarily assessed as part of our analysis because yeah. they're Canadian stocks. Um, but I really like them. I mean, you know, any any thoughts in terms of either of those stock plays? Yeah, well, I think definitely uh, for our friend Carl, if he was still here, uh, <laughs> he loves a good dividend play. And weren't you saying the, the what was the dividend on? Was it Telus? Telus dividend four point seven five, but the big one was ENP or ENB Enridge Oil and Gas dividend of seven percent. Yeah, it's a huge dividend uh, for an oil and gas play as well. Seven mm. percent dividend is, is you know quite a nice play. Uh, and I think you were you had you had cited a really good PE ratio on one of those as well. Yeah, both very strong P ratios in around the 25 to 35 mark, but TELUS, ticker TU and the NYSC at a, at a P ratio of 27.39. So a very good, you know, um, P ratio. The the piece that stuck me is obviously the price target for TU now is around $20, but the low first year price target is 29.91, uh, higher 42.50, but the average first year price target 
$39. That's a $19 gain per share. Nice upside there, along with a tidy 4.75% dividend. And I love uh, a company that has a good diverse portfolio. Mm. Uh, so I love to hear that like they're kind of buying lots of technology startups. Um, really interesting to hear that Canada doesn't have that like big technology play. So that yeah. if you have a big player making plays in the technology space, um, they could potentially kind of not dominate, but definitely going to get a really good footprint there. Uh, they also had that telehealth play, which I know you absolutely adore. Yeah. Um, so like, a, I mean, I obviously would need to do more investigation, but it, it sounds like there's some really good um, indicators mm. there those stocks yeah again it was a fantastic interview and we look forward to obviously having more of these guest speakers mm. on on a more regular basis maybe once every month um you know even there and the the book and the podcast things that you know the the traditional irish or uk or european investor mightn't be aware of because they don't have that exposure maybe on the ground of what's happening in the us or across canada so i mm. thought that was very insightful um any any final thoughts mike just in terms of you know obviously having Ryan on, on the podcast, obviously something, as I said, we're going to look towards doing once every month and, and becoming more of a frequent occurrence on the podcast. Yeah. I think why I love that interview and, and why I think it'd be really insightful for, for the listeners is, is, um, you know, he's a more typical kind of investor and I don't mean that in a bad way as in he gets his blue chip stocks. He's got, he's got, he gets his solid enterprises, uh, dividend paying stocks and he, and he averages down month on month. Uh, and that's a really classic style of investing that you pick your your big players that you like and that you, you you're really confident are going to grow into the future and you're not going for wild upside you're not going for you know 30 40 50 percent upside of a of a month or over you know a quarter you're confident investing in this company over the next 10 15 20 25 30 years because you're confident that they're going to still be still be there and still be strong in 30 years and i think if you're looking for a long-term investment play that's the style that you should be taking. It's a style that Carl takes. It's called, I kind of dabble in it, but I, maybe I don't do as much as I like to think I do. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think it's a really um, good style of investing to get exposed to early in your investing uh, career, if you want to call it that. Yeah. It was very Warren Buffett-esque, in my opinion, uh, in terms of that traditional investor and and sort of the, you know, what what the, the sort of core principles around, you know, we talked about dollar cost averaging every month, the same amount going into those stock plays, building the dividend belief and that those dividends will grow over time. So fundamentally, it is a very strong uh, long-term strategy. Mm. And as you said, Mike, I mean, probably the perfect starter package or starter starter um, entry for any anyone looking to get into investing. It's probably the safest and probably the most effective way of building, you know, steady gains over time. So with that, we're gonna we're gonna close up this week's podcast. It has been a very interesting one. I've absolutely loved it. I know you probably loved it as well, Mike, in terms of having a guest speaker. Absolutely. Anybody outside of of you and Carl is good conversation. <laughs> we'll take that with a with a back of a hand, but. Um, Listen, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. For any of our listeners, Carl has had to step away. He's had to rejoin his friends on the white picket fence. But listen, we've absolutely <laughs> loved it. Uh, again, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us on, on this week's podcast uh, as our guest speaker. And we look forward to having more of them on Soy's Investment Group. So guys, listen, thanks a million for watching. Thanks a million for listening. And we look forward to, to talking to you next week. Take care. If you're interested in joining our growing Soy's Investment Group Discord channel or interested in further details, please feel free to follow us on our Instagram at Soy's Investment Group, check out our YouTube channel, or again, feel free to email us at soysinvestmentgroup at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll see you again on the next show.